the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. A concerning new bill out of Virginia. And then we're joined by Tara Cole, author of a new book, Everyday Prayers for the School Year. Confronting church hurt and abuse. And later, five things the younger generation can't stand about the older generation. You're listening to The Common Good. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us on the start of a new week. And Aubrey, we saw snow today. We saw snow. This morning, I was driving somewhere, and I was like, this is literally snow. And <laughs> I I sent a message to you and to our executive producer, Keith. You guys, it's snowing. And you both were like, no, it's not. not and I both. was like, yes, it's snowing. It was not both. I don't think it Please still is, accurate. but okay. It was just Keith. You're right. It <laughs> was just you. Keith. You're right. You're right. I don't mean to throw you under the bus, Brian. Yes. But yeah, it's so that makes me nervous that like winter is coming and it's so beautiful right now. It looks so lovely and fallish, but are we like already headed there? Is this going to be one of those Halloweens where it's like, there was snow on the ground. Years ago, when it snowed inches. Yes, on and, the, and remember Christmas? That was the Christmas. It was like seventy <laughs> degrees. It was that's we should have known. Like something's about to happen because COVID came after that. That's right. We should have known. Like this is a this is a ominous. There you go. And uh, uh, hold up, hold up. I'm in the studio with Brian right now, folks, and he just took off a puffy vest because it's cold in our studio. He's you are sporting a football. Uh, sweatshirt from your son. I am. This and is it exciting. Is because, it is because tonight from here, I'm going to go to his final football game of the year. I love it. And it's supposed to be 33 degrees and then the sun will have set already. So not <laughs> thrilled about it, but I'm, it's going to be fun. I'm not going to go cheer your boy on, but no, I, I'm I totally, happy for you. I totally wear the swag of my kids or their teams that. now. Absolutely. That's a, some cool swag. It's like Nike. It's not bad. It's Way not to go. Bad. Way to go. Thank Way to you go, very Dad. Much. All right. So uh, good weekend around. A good week. Looking forward to it. We'll talk about this. You're speaking at some more conferences. You're just, you know, speaking at conferences all the time here nowadays. I am speaking at conferences all the time. And to be honest, I'm starting to be like, why have I not said no to things? Like It's a little it's awesome. I'm so but, grateful. I love every moment of it. Also, I'm tired. The quick answer to why have I not said no to things is when it when the uh, direct deposit enters into your into your bank account. I, I'm not going to lie; that's certainly part of it. A big part of it, I would assume. And, uh, so, yeah, we'll talk more about that later on today. I did want to start Aubrey with uh, a troubling thing, and and I saw this on Twitter, and I said to myself, "This actually can't be true." Do you ever read those things on Twitter, and you're like? Let yeah. me go Google this because clearly they're made this up. Uh-huh. Well, not made it up, but they took a legitimate story and took it down a way that yeah. it's like, yeah. uh, oh, and then you read it and you're like, oh, well, that's not what it says. Right, so right. I thought this was one of those, uh, but actually it is correct. Okay. Virginia parents could face abuse charges for not affirming their LGBTQ child under a new bill. Uh Virginia parents could face a felony or misdemeanor charge if they do not affirm their child's sexual orientation and gender identity 
according to a state lawmaker with plans to introduce this legislation. Right now, parents' rights and LGBTQ protections are a big focus in Virginia. The governor has uh, done a lot of stuff, but it gets the schools into things. It gets kind of, uh, Mm. uh, you know, takes away parents' rights. So basically, if your kid says, I'm this, you could go to jail, it says, if you don't immediately affirm it, as opposed to saying, Hey, listen, my son, listen, my daughter, you're 13 years old. Right. Let's go get counseling. Right. This isn't about like, I'm going to yell at you and, and, yeah, and right. punish you for doing right. this. But it's like. Even if you wanted to say, hey, can we wait to make some of these decisions until you're a fully, your brain has fully formed and you're an adult. Like even right. that, it seems like there's going to be pushback on. There's no way this passes, right? Or am they, I just totally naive? So it's not going to pass. But yeah. uh her bill would expand the state's definition of child abuse and neglect to include parents who do not affirm their child's gender identity or sexual orientation. If the child shares with those mandated reporters what they are going through, we're taking we're talking about not only physical abuse or mental abuse. Uh, and then that's how everybody gets involved. There's an investigation that goes through a social worker uh, and they interviewed her and they asked her. She was very um up front about the plans here. Okay. What, what's the punishment? Yeah. It's a felony, right? Wow. What would you tell people who say wow. this is criminalize, criminalizing parents? She says it's educating parents because the law tells you the do's and don'ts. So this law is telling you do not abuse your children because they're LGBTQ. None of us would say abuse your children because they're LGBTQ. Absolutely not. But she's defining what that abuse looks like as... Hey, let's talk more about this. Yeah. Hey, let's go to counseling. Yeah. Hey, maybe you're a little young to make these decisions. I don't know. You know me. I'm a pretty level-headed person. These types of stories have got me, like, not just fired up, but also kind of worried about the direct. Like, I'm a parent. You're a parent. We have teenagers who are like, what is going on yeah, right now? Yeah, I mean, I think, honestly, like, it, what what freaks me out about this and I, I'm not one. I mean, you know, this. people who listen to our show long enough know this about us. You and I are not fear mongers and we don't tend to be afraid of this kind of thing, but let's say this catches on more and more, uh, uh, you know, representatives, what have you decide more and more government leaders decide this is like the right thing. And parents are abusive who don't go this route. To me, that is pretty freaky because yeah. it, Part of it is like, it's not your job to parent my kid. One, mm-hmm. um, I know the right thing for my kid. And of course, abuse is never okay. But this is, again, this is where I'm so, so baffled by this decision to not let our kids be kids. Yeah. You know, like if your kid is trying on a different gender identity, okay, you know, Walk them through it. Walk them through it. Parent them through it. Counsel them through it. But until they're until they're adults, like it, these decisions just can't be made for the kids. And to me, that's the abusive part. Yeah. So I, yeah, it's a, it's it's disconcerting, Brian. And then I think what I hate. This is where maybe I go too far. But what I hate is if the schools get involved. Yes. I mean, Kevin and I are big proponents of like kids in the public school. We want our kids there. We love our school district big time. But these are the kinds of things that make parents go, well, then we can't be in the public mm-hmm. schools anymore. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that's a shame. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's somewhat of our story. We're like, hey, this yeah. has been going too far too right. fast. Uh, and I, the more we see stories like this, the less it is for me about like 
What do you think about gender identity and sexuality? Huge topics to discuss. Absolutely. But it's exactly what you said. There's two parts here that are just infuriating, infuriating me. I can't talk today. That's all right. Infuriating me. That is A, why don't we let our kids be kids? That's it. We are over-sexualizing and we're treating our kids as if they can make adult decisions. Yes. And like... Parents as roadblocks to those, Mm -hmm. right? Like this disregard of parents. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then two, the elevation of government and schools above parents in, in, you know, is not just disturbing, but it could become a real issue increasingly because we're talking felonies here. We're talking misdemeanors. We're talking you lose your kids. We're talking – and it's just – Man, I think as parents, you need to know what's going on. There is a lot of fear mongering going on out there, but but sometimes you have to just do the work to get through the fear mongering and go, okay, what's real out there? And when you start to understand what's real out there, it's still a big deal and it's still yeah. really scary. Yeah, it it is really scary. And I I mean, I again I, I maybe maybe people don't think parents want to parent their kids, but like if my kids this is something that they're struggling with, wrestling with, like Kevin and I are the first voice in their life, period. Like, not their. And the most important. Yes, not their friends, not their school counselors, not their teachers, certainly not some random government leader. Like, we love our kids more than anybody else does. And so we're the ones who are going to walk them through that. And we have a perspective of our faith, we have a perspective of. Again, our love, we know our kid like this. It's just baffling to me. I I am. This isn't going to pass. But what does fear me? What does scare me is that this catches fire? Oh, exactly. Right. Think about the number of things of 20 years ago we did. We would have said, well, that's never going to pass. And it wouldn't have passed then. But now it's it's all about trajectory for me. Where are we heading? So uh, keep an eye on that right now out in the state of Virginia. We'll see where it goes. Aubrey, something that we didn't cover on Friday's show. Uh, but you were not here Wednesday or Thursday of last week. You got to do a little bit of a speaking gig yep. locally around here. Yep. Uh, tell us, how did it go? Oh, uh, what, it do you, was... what do you see going on out there oh, in the church? Oh, man, it's so awesome. So I was at Exponential uh, Chicago, and um, some of our friends that have been on the show, Romel Williams was there, uh, Tara Beth Leach was mm-hmm. there, Daniel Yang was there, um, and... Basically, it was a conference about the spirit of God empowering the church. And here's what was the the best part about it, um, Brian, that there was a whole group of next generation church leaders, not necessarily church planters yet, but thinking about okay. dreaming about praying about church planting. Uh, my guess is, and Daniel Yang and I, we were on a panel at one point. I also spoke on the stage, but we also did a panel for next gen leaders. We were kind of joking about how when you and I were coming mm-hmm. up into church planting, Daniel Yang would, is around the same yep. age, that for us, we kind of went from like, we were youth pastors, and then we planted churches, you, you know, did. and now it's like, some of these, they're not kids, but in my mind, some of these youngsters are, <laughs> you know, they're like the social media directors at their church, they're leading online churches, they're leading, so when they're thinking about church planting, they're That's thinking micro, this is a language, micro mega or meta oh yeah oh. and so it's just it it was kind of wild and kind of fun whereas so you and i were just like oh no it sounds cool to do yeah <laughs> yeah it's a totally different landscape but it's fun to see like kind of the next generation getting excited about ways that um they can draw their generation back to church 
And to see like a group of young leaders rising up in the Chicagoland area is really, really exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. So it was it was great. It was a great you all around experience. You imparted your your older wisdom. I did. I imparted. Although I realized like, wow, I don't have a lot of answers for the questions there. They're asking different questions than I'm even thinking about. Do you remember the office episode where Michael spoke at Ryan's business school? Yeah. And he just kept like pretending like they were just mocking. Right. Like it wasn't real questions, but they're asking. That's what I yes. picture you in this panel. Yeah, going. that's basically exactly exactly what happened. But uh, no, it was great. It was a good time. Speaking of feeling old, uh, at the Daily Mail, they wrote this: "Why nobody should be using the thumbs up emoji in 2022, and the ten symbols only quote old people use that have Gen Z rolling their eyes." All right. So first, the thumbs up. Here, okay. you know this. You and I text often, often to talk about this show. Yes. I am a fan of the thumbs up. You've taught me the just not even the actual thumbs up. The just hold on the message and thumbs yeah, up it from there. Right, right, like, right. That has a term. I don't know what it is, but you just like respond on the message. So right. I would like to know you and I are both thumbs up people. Mm-hmm. Here's what the Gen Zers are thinking. Okay, these days. let's hear it. Sending a thumbs up emoji can be seen as passive aggressive and even confrontational. Whoa! According to Gen Z, who claim they feel attacked whenever it's used. Whether the chat is informal between friends or at work, the icon appears to have a very different rude meaning for the younger generation. I like and it's sarcastic or something. Keep going, keep I going. A 24-year-old on Reddit summed up the Gen Z argument this way, saying it is best, quote, never used in any situation as it's hurtful. No one my age in the office does it, but the Gen X people always do it. <laughs> Took me a bit to adjust and get it out of my head that it means... Uh, that they're mad at me. So people were seeing the thumbs up. <laughs> wow. I use the thumbs up all the time. Wow. As in like, hey, do you want to have lunch? Thumbs up. Right. Hey, do you want to? Apparently, the younger generation, I'm using air quotes, which might also be confrontational and passive aggressive, <laughs> I suppose, uh, see that as like a passive aggressive, like I don't have time for you or I'm annoyed or this or that. I've never looked at the thumbs up in that way. You oh, and I are old. It's so I old. don't tend to look at emojis ironically unless it's very, very obvious. You know what I mean? Like. Like you say something like, oh, I'm having a terrible day and put a bunch of smiley faces like people know. Right. But like something like that, where there's subtext generationally, how are you even supposed how? to know that? It's... I did talk to my kids about this all Gen Z and they were just like, yeah, nobody uses emojis anymore. And I was like, what? Emojis like, are the next? best. The I just you also text with me often. You know how often I use the meme. I don't think you're supposed to use the meme anymore. Either. Uh, I don't I know. Will, that I, is a hill I will this die is on. Like a whole, this is like a whole, it's a whole thing I wasn't aware of. You know when I first learned about this, though? This was a f- couple years ago. A Gen Z, uh, actually millennial, sent me a text message, and I wrote back, like, okay, or something like that. It was just a question, and I wrote, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I get this whole response back, like, is everything okay? Are you mad at me? Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, what? Apparently, at the time, I don't know if this is still true, but just saying okay was sort of like the thumbs up. Like, I had, she thought I was mad or had insulted her because I did. So here's, that, here's the this deal. is wild. If you're a Gen Zer out there, I'm going to give you some elderly wisdom here. <laughs> then pick up the phone and make a phone call. <laughs> if this is it. And Amber, let me tell you, if, if we get to the stage in life with texting that you can't use a meme or a GIF or anything. is GIF, GIF, I'm going with GIF. If you can't use those. 
then your life is going to be affected because you will never get a reply from me or from our executive yeah, producer, Keith right, Conrad. Because right. that's all, that's the only way we or write like, to a you. Part of me is like, do we need to start saying, like, hey, I'm Gen Z. Here's my Stop text me. message. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, there are sometimes, and this is why I like to bring it up on the show to make other people feel old and out of touch. I There are not many more times I felt more out of touch than to read the line, many Gen Zers feel the thumbs up emoji is hostile. <laughs> I'll give you another finger emoji that's hostile. Oh, there's, that's true. There's <laughs> some other. You know what's actually funny? So somebody sent us that that article, yeah. and I had put something online with it wasn't a thumbs up emoji, but it was a different emoji. And I was like, I got to take that emoji off. Like I like got in my head about You're it. Like good. I can't be me anymore. All right, here are, and I believe you discussed this with your children, the top ten emojis that make you look quote old. <laughs> okay, let's hear them. Uh, number one. 24% they gave like they did a survey was the thumbs up number 1 number 2 at 22% the red love heart what can't use the heart i love that emoji cuz you're old okay i'm old i just got to own it number 3 the okay hand wow okay why that's it's it's, you're, it's ancient okay okay this next one i don't even know what this one is number 4 <laughs> the tick the tick is that like a check? C-I-C- oh, I, that would a be check a tick mark, mark maybe? a check mark. Okay, I'll give that one. Okay, none of these. These all these seem are like all, all very average. Yeah, but this is what our sixteen to twenty nine year olds are believing. Man, number five, a pile of poo. Well, sure, can't do that one. I but love they, that one. That That's one a great one. That there were stuffed animals. There were stuffed animals of that one. Come on, <laughs> got you left. Yes. Uh, number six, the loudly crying face. I love that one. So do I. Number seven, the monkey eye cover. Oh, yeah. You use the eye cover sometimes. Not the monkey one, but you use the other eye cover. Do I? Okay. Yeah. So do I, though. Number eight, clapping hands. Which is the... Yep. Oh, clapping hands. Oh, not okay, the praying yeah. hands. The clapping hands. Did you know that the praying hands is actually high five? I just learned this. <laughs> no, it's not, not praying. All. It's two hands doing <laughs> a high five. Christian world, that's <laughs> right. what it is. <laughs> right. Number nine, lipstick kiss mark. Okay. And then number 10, the grimacing face. What? I use the, it all the time. I use that one all the time, too. So this would transform the way that I text. But also, the what? fact that these are considered old, I'm like, I'm old. That That's it. We're just old because we can't even understand it. So we're clearly old. And as an old person, do you know what my response to this is going to be? What? Nothing. I don't care what you tell me. I'm going to do this. <laughs> I'm going to keep doing Emojis are cute and great. Let's not get all like, I feel like Gen Z is getting a little too holier than I, now I about this. I have gotten to the point in my life where I <laughs> lean into the oldness. I really do. So so if I, if somebody sent me this article, do you know what I would do? Send I'd a bunch go, of emojis. I'd go thumbs up okay, like right next to each other. <laughs> you are, you're going to be a great old man. I, I can't wait. Not going to be. I can't I'm wait. I'm already a great old man. I used to be with it. But then they changed what it was. Now what I'm with isn't it, and what's it seems weird and scary to me. It'll happen to you. And we are so thrilled to be joined by Tara L. Cole. She's the author of Everyday Prayers for the School Year, a book that's available wherever it is you get your books. And Tara and I just connected uh, before we were on air. We're both Oklahoma gals, so this (laughs) is fun. Tara, thanks so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me, Brian Aubrey. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your story, and why you decided to write about praying for the school year? 
Well, um, like you said, my name is Tara L. Cole. My family and I currently live in Oklahoma and actually teach um, communications at Oklahoma State University Institute of Technology in Okmulgee, Oklahoma. So writing is something that I teach and it's something that I do. Um, I've been a um, Bible teacher, podcaster, um, author for about 15 or 20 years. And as I um, went through my own writing and ministry, I connected with Brooke McLaughlin and Million Praying Moms. And so when Brooke put in one of her writers groups that she had this book idea, this prayer devotional idea for um, prayers for the school year, I quickly raised my virtual hand since I teach, my kids <laughs> are in great. school. Um, I was homeschooled myself, so I'm familiar with all the schooling types, so it was a really good fit um, for where I was at in my life and my ministry and writing. Well, that sounds awesome. Tara, um, Aubrey and I both have kids in school. Why in, Why should we focus as parents on praying for our kids in the school? Why is this such an important topic? Well, as we all know, our kids are hit from so many different directions with so uh, many different ideas and um, messaging and things like that. There's always a topic of bullies and of friendships and of what our culture is trying to teach them. And so um, for those of us who choose to keep our kids in a public school system out of need or just because, like me, you believe that's where you're supposed to be in this season, then um, it's really important to just bathe them in prayer as we send them out. And this book is actually written for all schooling types. Even if we're homeschooling our kids and keeping them home, School is hard. Yeah. I mean, it just flat out is. And so um, just praying for them through all those challenges of learning and friendships and even their character growth through the school years, it is so, so important to seeing them um, launch well in their 20s. And how have you seen, Tara, in your experience, prayer make a difference in the lives of your own kids or even in some of the other um, moms that you know, their kids? Well, in um, my own children, I've seen some prayers answered very quickly and some prayers answered very slowly. So some quick answers to prayer are things like um, about five years ago or more, I started really intentionally praying that my kids would have teachers that would see them and have insight to who they are and be able to teach them well. And pretty much Mm -hmm. every school year that prayer has been answered. We've had really great teachers that we've been able to connect with. And so I'm really thankful that they have insight because as we know, our kids are all very different. Um, So one teacher might have one kid and they need to keep in mind that kid number two is not the same as kid number one at all. Yeah. Then slow prayers have been things like friendships. Um, I addressed this in a few chapters in the book that my son really struggled with friendships. And so it took about a good five years for him to really find his people. But now that I see him with those friends, I am so incredibly thankful. And Mm -hmm. um, I constantly praise God for those friendships he's blessed them with. That's great. Tara, what has it done for your relationship with your kids that they know you're praying for them intentionally? And what's it done for your kids' faith to be like, hey, mom's praying for me as I go about my day? Well, um, they are boys, so they're not very verbal about um, their feelings and things. So uh, my mom recently said something jokingly to my oldest son and was like, no, your mom doesn't care for you at all. Is she blah, blah, blah? And he was like, oh, that's so not true. Uh Um, He was saying it in a negative way because he thinks I, being a preteen, he thinks we are too interested in what he's doing and stuff. But I know my prayers for him. He knows I am very invested in his life and care very much what goes on and what happens in his life. 
Also, within the last two years, all of them have um, become Christians. So I know that this prayer has um, led them all to Jesus in um, different ways for all of them. Oh, I love that. That's so awesome. I have three sons, so I feel you, Tara. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> This is this may sound like a strange question, but can you give us an example? I'm just thinking of the parents that are listening right now and want to know how to be equipped to pray for their kids. Like, what does prayer look like for you? Are you laying hands on them before they go to school? Are you praying in a journal? Like, give us some kind of nitty gritty details about how you are praying for your kids practically. This is one of the things I love about prayer is there's no one right way to do it. Um, there's several ways I do it throughout my week and have done it throughout different seasons. When If you have really young kids, I did the feed them, strap them in a chair, read them a devotional, and pray for them yeah. <laughs> yeah, when they were yeah, really little. Yeah. Now that we're in elementary and preteen, we actually pray on our way to school. And so um, I drive, I have the opportunity to drive them to school. So we are um, jumping in the car and I'll say, hey, it's Monday. Whose turn is it to pray first? Because you know, you got to take turns. (laughs) And so they'll pray. And then I'll kind of model what prayer looks for, looks like in my own prayers. So they usually repeat theirs or something like that. But I'll um, pull out a different characteristic I saw of God that morning in my own quiet time. And, um, mention that in the beginning of my prayer, and I'll pray for each one of our family members, and there may be some stuff that's going on on our friends' lives, but we really do it on the way to school. And then um, at night, as I'm tucking them into bed, I did a Blessings e-course with Christy Thomas many years ago, and so I'll say a blessing over them. And right now, that really looks like praying over them, the prayer from Everyday Prayers for the school year, because our family's going through it too. And so you could write that prayer in a sticky note, or I actually have printable prayer cards um, in my shop, or you can just search Everyday Prayers on my um, homepage and find that. But I have printable prayer cards for every prayer in the journal, so I've cut those out, and I just write my kids' names in that and tape it to their door. And I could tell, even from my youngest son, that that is really important to him. Because mm. he was like, well, I have 30 prayers from this. I was like, I promise you will have all 30 prayers. When you're over to the <laughs> That's praying great. For you. That's cute. Um, but I just taped them on their door so they can kind of see that I'm praying over them. Um, but I just have all those options available to our family because um, seasons change. Life yeah. happens. Yep. So if several of them disappear, at least maybe one of them will stick. Yeah, that's great. And Tara, as we close, how would you encourage churches to use this, uh, to make this kind of a a focus of what they do? Um, Our church actually every three months has a prayer night. And so what I would encourage um, maybe churches to do is go through this as a group of parents. So whether they do it online in their Facebook group, like many churches have nowadays, or whether they decide um, to maybe make it a parenting challenge for their um, church or their younger elementary group to go through this in a month, praying intentionally over their kids. But um, it can be used in many different ways like that. Um, just getting one for everybody and the all the parents in the group and um, just praying together and maybe meeting even once a week over coffee or in the class and praying over these prayers together and sharing your thoughts about your kids because nothing's more important than hearing me too, and this is what I did. Mm, yeah, that's so true. Tara, where can people find your book? Where can they connect with all the things you're doing? 
All right. Um, they can find everything at Tara, T-A-R-A-L, Cole, C-O-L-E dot com. There they can find the links to Everyday Prayers. They can also find all my social media links. I'm Tara L. Cole in all the places. And you can find Everyday Prayers wherever books are sold. Fantastic. Tara L. Cole is the author of Everyday Prayers for the school year available wherever you get your books. You can go to her website, TaraLCole.com. Tara, thanks so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. Speaking at Wheaton College tomorrow at their Amplify conference, and they've asked me to come and talk about encountering church hurt and abuse. And um, mm. this is it's a small subject, just a small, no big deal. To? I'm speaking to a group of pastors. So Amplify is an evangelism conference, but um, this is a breakout session. So 30, okay. they, they cut it off at 30 because it's so intimate. And so 30 mostly male pastors have signed up. Uh, so talking about, how the church, because it's evangelism, like how does the church essentially make repair for the bad reputation that we have now Mm. and, and be a meaningful witness to the world. And thankfully a lot of Wheaton college is amazing. And they've sent me a lot of research that some of their students have done, but I found on my own, this article at relevant talking about how churches can show up for abuse victims and so what's interesting is the guy who wrote it is his name is Scott Savage, which how cool is the last name Savage? <laughs> it's so strong. But Scott Savage's wife is a lawyer mm. and she is a domestic violence prosecutor. Okay. And so he's writing about how the church can show up for those who are victims of domestic violence or abuse, um, attempted or uh, successful. That's kind of a mm-hmm. terrible word, but attempted or completed sexual assault. And what's interesting is he says that many churches are just grossly unprepared to protect the minors specifically in their care, but also women in their care. And here's a, here's the thing he says. He says that he and his wife had been at many of these court cases. And I think only once a pastor showed up for the victim. Mm. He said he he was in a case once where 100 people showed up for the sexual offender, Mm. but rarely he sees pastors, leaders in churches show up for those who are victims. And essentially he's saying that's a major failure Mm. in the church, which we would agree with. Like that has to change that we're no longer standing side by side, defending the the abuser simply because we think they're great and have a cool right, ministry. Right. But instead, we're, we're turning towards the victims. Um, but ultimately, what he says is here's here's some ways the churches the church can begin to change. OK, so I want to share with you some of his thoughts and then you and I can have a conversation about it. But he says, one, we need to admit that we're not where we should be and repent. Hmm. And I think that feels like step one and i also feel like that repentance publicly seems like it matters just as much as like actually Uh, repenting before the lord i think that's a huge one because so you're speaking to these obviously it struck a nerve 30 people have signed up and want to come to it that's that's no small feat for a breakout session and so um i if i if it were me i think one of the first things i would say is which don't be defensive. That's like, it. That's let's, it. Let's acknowledge the fact that maybe for various reasons, we haven't gotten this right over the years. Mm-hmm. We'll never get it perfectly right. Mm-hmm. But let's let's uh, name that and then c- 
commit to we want to do better. Yeah. Like you're yeah. not going to commit to being perfect. Right. Right. But, but I think as long as – and this is true for anything in our lives, right? But something institutional is a bigger deal uh, in this case. But when you don't acknowledge what you've done wrong, yeah. then it doesn't matter what you do going forward. So and some true. of you just have to say, listen, there's a lot of built-up stuff. Uh, we can't do anything about that yeah. right now. We can acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, together, we can wipe it clean mm-hmm. and start anew. And here's what we're going to do going forward. Yeah. Oh, we spend so much of our time going, what's going to happen now? And people are like, well, I'm hurting from 20 I'm years ago. I'm still hurting. Ago, you yeah. said you're sorry for yeah. that. You acknowledge that. I think if the church did, quite frankly, what that we talk about in the Bible all the time, confessing repentance, if yeah. we did that better, yeah. institutional, then it would set you more up for what to do next. Like I think I, that's I picture, true. I picture people at your breakout are going to be there with pens. Like, okay, what do we do now? Yeah. What we do now is talk about what we did then. And, right. And that, right. I, I think that would be helpful. Yeah. And I actually, I mean, the fact that you say that, I actually think I might start by having us just like pray a prayer of repentance mm-hmm. because I, it just feels like your right brain. It has to stop there. The other thing this article talks about is that churches need to put policies and plans in place for responding to future accusations. You take every accusation accusation seriously, mm-hmm. respond to them directly and swiftly. This is interesting. Churches must refuse the temptation to investigate internally. Yes. Oh, man, we've seen that so many Haven't times Haven't we now. seen that? And that causes such greater trauma in the end. Yeah, I think this internal, uh, especially when it gets to a certain level, right? Yeah. Like maybe somebody comes to you with something and you say, okay, let me just try to figure it out. But mm-hmm. pastors have a bad reputation for saying, I know I'm... In my little church kingdom here, I'm the yeah. I'm the judge, jury, executioner, right. and I know right. it, the detective and all right. this. There are trained people yes. who are watching us pastors and church leaders going, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. So I think the quicker we can get it, it shows that we're taking this seriously. I think yeah. it always is a red flag when you hear about the pastor who stepped down or who whatever got accused of something. And it's all hidden and in-house. Right? Uh, that's, that feels like it's not actually going to get to the bottom of this. Yeah. And that's the next step is like churches must engage. I mean, there are different mandatory reporting laws depending on the state you live in. But churches must investigate local law enforcement who are actually trained and equipped to do this. This article actually says something what you just said, Brian. Elder boards or pastors acting like armchair investigators do more harm than good. And mm-hmm. I, I just think like. Just call the police like this is criminal. Just call the police in some ways. Like the most important thing is that then those who are equipped and ready to do it can protect the victim. Also, that like as a pastor, that protects you because you're not doing this internal uh, investigation. And then basically this article ends by saying there's no room for naivete or ignorance in the body of Christ. Jesus called his followers to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, our reputations should be as protectors of the powerless, not ignorant defenders of the offenders. Mm-hmm. And um, it does feel like, thankfully, since so many of these hashtag me too or hashtag church do stories have come out, hopefully the tide is turning uh, for the best. But there still is so much pain and there's so much, so much nuance. I talked to somebody um over the weekend who was part who is now part of a church where there was a big falling out because of pastor abuse. And he said the, the amount of women that were directly abused was too many and it was egregious. He said it was about 20 or so. And he said, but the indirect, um, the indirect abuse yeah. people uh, is in the tens of thousands. And yeah. he was like, it, there's just no greater harm than gra- that. Yeah. Harm. And I, 
I do think, like what you said, we are taking this seriously as a culture, I think. Yeah. And some people t- tend to be a little older as well. Uh, feel like we've swung the pendulum too far. And maybe that's the case sometimes, but that's how you find the middle. Yeah. And yeah. The, what was not working is, ah, just believe the pastor. Exactly. I just believe that. that's what was not working. Yeah. Or just believe the person in power in your organization, right. business, school, whatever it might be. Right. And so I think I think this is healthy, and and the reminder that we as churches we can we yep. can repent, we can confess, we can start anew and yep. get things right. Yeah, that's exactly right, Brian. One thing I love about the common good is that we kind of go we go from like fun stories about emojis and you give me funny quizzes. We talk about heavy and hard stuff like church abuse. And then we swing and talk about the next generation of leaders and what they think of us as leaders in our generation. And I know that not everyone listening is a church leader, but all of us are in some area of leadership. You're leading your family. You're leading your home. You're leading something. So Carrie Newhoff, who's a church leadership kind of guru guy, he apparently asked uh, 900 leaders, okay, okay, about their experience with the opposite generations at work. And rather than trying to get statistics, he wanted to get feedback, attitudes, story, perspectives. And he said, I got an earful from <laughs> all sides, okay? And he said, to get us started, here's what he did. He asked millennials and Gen Z respondents to complete this sentence. My biggest complaint about older leaders at work is... And we're now these older leaders. We are now these older so leaders. So I'm going to get really defensive yeah. here. Yeah, are you this ready? Is, I'm gloves off. Here are you we go. ready? All I right, am. here we go. Number one, they're too defensive. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, they are not open to change. So the younger leaders by far say that older leaders aren't open to change. This was the number one complaint. Here are some of the quotes. They're stuck in their ways with blind spots and no willingness to listen. They're not willing to let go of the way things were done 30 years ago. Most of them want to do it the way it has always been done. They want everything done the way they saw it in the 80s and 90s while saying they want innovation and freshness. They have so much history behind them. They don't want to try to think of something new. They live in the past. Okay, so uh, that goes on and on and on. But what do you think about that? I get it. Mm -hmm. And I think there's truth to it. Yeah. There is a flip side to this. Yes. There is a flip side. And I was guilty of this when I was in my 20s. Mm -hmm. Wanting to change everything for the sake of change and giving no thought. Yes. To the history or the culture. Yeah. What it does. And people start getting whiplash when I'm changing this and changing that and changing this. Yeah. And so there is a middle ground here. You do not want to get stuck in the days, but. There's this buzzword of innovation yeah. and all of this stuff that, you know what, I, I'm, I'm a pastor of a church, but if I ever went to a church, let's take churches. I don't want to go to one that changes every two years. Yeah. I want to yeah. go to one where I know there's some stability and yeah. we're going to try new things. There's you youngins out there. Like, right. There, there is a time for change, but there is also a time for going, no, that's a bit much. Let's, let's think this through and let's also take the long game yeah not everything needs to change next week sometimes it can change next year right right so there you go well there's actually like i mean there's change theory where change experts have talked about that like you have to do change in a certain way 
to make it meaningful yeah. for people and embed it in culture. And you can't do that just by setting fire to everything. Granted, we're the older people, so we're definitely. But there is some. I agree. When I was in my twenties, I like wanted to burn everything to the ground and start over. And, and it there's just, an arrogance to that. Like, yeah, I'm yeah there is. Yeah, and there I can is. Do this, and then you hit your forties or whatever, and you go, oh. Yeah, okay. maybe I didn't know everything. Like as a parent, I mm-hmm. go, oh, now I know why my parents did this. Yeah. As a pastor, now I go, oh, I know why when I was the 25-year-old yeah. youth pastor. Now I get why the elder board laughed at me a little bit when right. I was like, why are we not doing this? Right. Like, right. I understand now. Yeah, isn't it so funny? How I'm so grateful for the older leaders in our lives who were patient with us. All right, number two. Younger leaders say that older leaders are inflexible, set in their methods, not flexible in how work gets done. They refuse to let go of their power, authority, decision-making rights. On the occasion that they do give up their rights, they are quick to take them back when things don't go exactly the way they wanted. They're not forward-thinking, not engaging the next generation, not adventurous. That's harsh. What do you think about that? Uh, Again, there is some truth to it. Here's what sometimes I think people in their 20s don't. Man, I'm the old guy. I, I love it. I love today. it, Brian. Here's sometimes what I think people don't understand. I am in the position I am, say, at our church because I've put in yeah. at our church uh-huh. 10, you know, 12 years. But before that, started 15 years, 20 right. years. Right. Like, we have a track record. Mm-hmm. So just wanting to say, oh, you know what? You decide what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. There's a reason that we hold the title that we do. Yeah. And if, if the elder board or, you know, your board of directors at your office or whatever doesn't think that you're the right person to be doing that anymore – then that's fine. Right. But the uh, the the idea that I should be flexible to the person who's been there for six months, whatever age or I had somebody come in who yeah. was older than me. And it was like it was that sort of. tension. Yeah, it just doesn't work like, that way. You know what you I appreciate your passion, but mm-hmm. you've been here for four months. Right. So maybe your ideas need a little bit of seasoning. Yeah. And so, yeah, again, I think with each of these, I'm going to go with a. Yes, but right, and and that was what it would be. Flexibility doesn't always mean, you know. Maybe you're being inflexible without without with us not going. Hey, let's sit yeah. on this for a while. Yeah, so. definitely. That, there's some truth to that. Okay, now this one, it, this one goes younger generation to older and older to younger. Huh. This is what we've kind of been saying here. Number three, they think they know everything. This was a find on both sides. Younger leaders think older leaders are arrogant. Older leaders think younger leaders are full of themselves. Basically, younger leaders say that older leaders say their way is the only way. They don't understand what I'm saying. They lack curiosity. But older leaders would say the same thing about younger leaders. Uh, They aren't willing to hear from all of the voices in the room. They aren't willing to acknowledge my expertise and experience. Don't you think that's so true? It is true. And I think the things they said about the younger generation there are true. But this is one that I would probably put on us in the mm. in the bit older uh, generation because I mean you and I are only forty five like right. we talk like we're sixty but right. really we're only forty five <laughs> right I'm not forty five yet FYI but go ahead when it, yes you are no I'm not not till March don't age me Brian it's not time yet you are forty five no I'm not I'm forty four years old I can show you my birth certificate I know how am old I, I am a full year older than yeah you? you're a year older than me you graduated a year older than me so I'm ten months older than you. Yeah, my birthday is in March. Now it's making sense, actually. Yeah, yeah. 
All right, but you're still old. I love so, that you're like telling me no, how old trying, I am. No, I was trying to do the math. <laughs> no, was, you were mansplaining my no, birthday to me. <laughs> yes, you were. I know no, how old I am. This is, this is an example of a conversation my wife and I regularly have where we both can't remember how old we are or can't remember how, how many years. How long you've been married? Yeah, yes, that's when we do we too. we were married in the year 2000, so it's very simple. Oh, yeah, that's easy. So, no, that was I that, that appeared to be mansplaining, but I don't believe it was. That was me going. Oh, really? You, you don't believe that was mansplaining? No, do you want to know why I don't think it was? Because in my mind, you want to know what I asked myself? You're a in my man, mind? and you're gonna explain. Do you want me to tell you what I thought in my mind? Yeah. Am I 45? <laughs> I think I'm 40. Sorry, I started doing math in my brain, like 1977. Are... And then I'm like, I am 45, but I think you're the same year. We, we are showing our our age. Yes. We are showing that we're the older leaders right and now. I can't remember what we're talking about. No. <laughs> I do think as we get older, we do get more stuck in our ways. Yeah. And sometimes that's good, but a lot of times yeah. I think that's just, you know what? I don't have the energy to change it's things. Kinda it's kind of true. I'm tired. It's working what's working. Yeah. I actually think this one has more to do yeah. with us as you've been around for a while. Yeah. All right. So some of the other ones, too slow, too stuck with rules, et cetera. The question is what we should do about it. And of course, Carrie Newhoff teases like later I'll share, or you know, Follow this link and I'll tell you more of what we should do about it. But don't you think so much of it does change relationally? Yeah. Like you, you, as you work together, as you lead together, as you're on mission together, as you actually get to know each other's stories, there begins to be a mutual respect and transformation that happens. And it's not always easy and beautiful, but I do think a lot of it is like, you know, younger Jen can't put the older Jen in a box. Older Jen can't put younger Jen in a box when we know each other right. and we're working side by side on mission. Fair. Yeah. Brian, I know we kind of keep talking about this and I'm not exactly sure why this is a bone I want to keep picking, but I saw something wild from Herschel Walker over the weekend at a debate uh, yeah. in Georgia. Um, you probably saw it, but essentially they were talking about law enforcement uh, him and the Democratic representative, or uh, and he flashed a fake police badge. So here's what I'm going to do. Uh, for those people who missed it, I'm going to play the audio for us, and then you and I are going to unpack it. Let's take a listen. I have supported our police officers. I've called them and I've prayed with their families, like those officers lost in Cobb County when they were killed, doing what police officers routinely do. You can support police officers as I've done, through the COPS program, through the Invest to Protect program, while at the same time holding police officers, like all professions, accountable. One thing I have not done, I've never pretended to be a police officer, <laughs> and, and, and I've, never, I've never threatened a shootout with the police. Well, and now I have to respond to that. We are, we are, we are no, moving no, no, on, no. gentlemen. I have to respond to that. And you know what's so funny? I am with, with many police officers, <laughs> and at the same time, Mr. Walker, Mr. Walker, Mr. Walker, Mr. Walker, excuse me, Mr. Walker, please, out of respect, I, I, I need to let you know, Mr. Yes. Walker, you are very well yes. aware of the rules tonight, Yes. and you have a prop, yes. that is not allowed, sir. Yeah. I ask you to put that prop away. Well, it's not a prop. It, it, this is real. And he said, I but, have a problem. I never worked with law enforcement. It is considered a prop, Mr. Walker. Yes. Excuse me, sir. Yes. You're very well aware of the rules, aren't you? Well, aren't he, you aware of he the rules? brought up the truth. Well, so let's talk about the truth. Th- thank you for putting that yes. prop away. And Okay, so it was a it was a prop. So here, let me explain this. He was yeah. given an honorary badge. Okay, he was given an honorary badge. So, okay. it, much like if you were given an honorary doctorate, 
you're yeah. well on your way, right? Speaking uh, of Wheaton's, as Aubrey, want to give you. Yeah. Would that actually be a doctorate? And there's some debate yeah, about that, right. people. So he, for his work with law enforcement, my understanding is, was given an honorary, like a bat, like you're okay. an honorary this. And gotcha. he was speaking of that as if I'm a police officer. Gotcha. And other okay. people were speaking of it as, no, you're not. You were given an honorary badge. Gotcha. And so I do think his people probably should have done a better job walking him through that Yeah. Uh, before getting that. But can I give you my take on the Herschel Walker I, thing I at do. The I want to hear your take, actually. So I have two, I have two takes on this. All right, let's two. hear it. Re- you ready for my politics? Let's start with We're number one. My politics. One, after watching some of the debate or the highlights of the debate, I do still ask myself, how in the world is he the nominee? Right. Like in a, in a great state like Georgia – uh, how's that the best you can do? Is yeah. it is it about his celebrity that he's the greatest um, player out of the University of Georgia ever? Right, right. greatest football player. Right. Um, it just still seems so weird that we as a culture are increasingly putting up strange, strange candidates for things that are going to have such enormous implications uh, across the nation. Yeah, whether it be Herschel Walker. Whether in Pennsylvania it be Dr. Oz against a guy who had a stroke. <laughs> like, yeah. what are we doing yeah. here? Yeah. Like, it just seems odd. So that continues to be my thing. But number two, like, if I were in Georgia, I would have a really hard time because I would have not much respect for him as a candidate, no matter what other people are trying to say. Sure, right? you gotta... sure. But the dude that he's running against, who's a pastor, is unashamedly pro-abortion Yeah, as a pastor. That's uh, Senator Raphael Warren. Warren, He is unashamedly um, pro-abortion as a pastor and speaks of it as to why a pastor can be that. And two, he looks like he's he's got a lot of shadiness as a pastor Mm. in his background. So if I were sitting in the state of Georgia— as is going to be the case with a lot of us yeah. when we go to the national elections or in our own, I would right. look at this and go, yet again, I don't want to vote for either of them. And I might surprise you with this. If I were sitting in the state of Georgia yeah. and I had the force, I'd, I'd vote for Herschel Walker. Yeah, I thought you were going to say that. I'd vote that. for Herschel yeah. Walker and I'd go, it's what we talked about the other week. Just own the fact that you need the other guy not to win. Yeah, that, right. That's going to be right. such an important swing vote that you need him not to win. But but I would be like, do it with my like holding my nose going, really? Couldn't we have somebody that I was excited to get behind as opposed to I need to vote against the other guy? But Ralph is this, Warnock is, is no this, way. Is this what politics have just come down to? It's whoever I can get behind while holding my nose. Because I, I feel like this is also what happened in Trump Biden is people were like, I don't I'm speaking for some Republicans. They didn't love Trump as a candidate. Or Democrats with Biden. You heard the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. But so they're like, but I don't want the party to win. All right. I guess I'm going to hold my nose and go place my vote. I, I, this to me is so discouraging and so defeating. And it almost makes you go, well, what's the point? Who cares? It's, there is that. And like, again, the politics for me seem to be this. Like, isn't there an opportunity here to go listen? And maybe just our political system is not set up for this right now. But to go, nobody likes, most people don't like, say, the president. Yeah. We are going to make sure that we are going to put out a really impressive person on the Republican side. Yeah. 
But it just doesn't happen, and vice versa. Yeah, it just like, doesn't happen. Everybody on the Democrat side was really ready to rally against President Trump, and they put up Joe Biden, and he won. But right. you're like, yeah, could there not have been a better candidate, I don't a younger candidate? So what I think, have you? Yeah. I think the takeaway for me increasingly is don't put your hope in your politicians. Mm. Don't put your hope in the political system. Mm. Our political system is broken in the sense that we still end up with the. Uh, the Joe Bidens and the Donald Trumps and yeah. the Raphael Warnocks yeah. and the Herschel Walkers and the whatever, you know, make your list as opposed to like, man, I want to go knock on doors for that person. Right. Man, I want to raise right. money for it. When's the last time you felt like, you know what, I really want to get behind maybe locally, maybe somebody locally. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. But the fact that you and I can't think of a time where we were like, you know what, I am going to rally the troops. I really want this person. To this win. I is really... the person I'm pumped about. Okay, as so... opposed to. You know what? I really prefer that person lose. Okay, so I've got to vote for. All right, uh, well, I'll go vote for that person because that's how I'd feel in Georgia right now. I'd be like, all right, I'll vote for Herschel Walker because I don't want Warnock to win because he's so out there yeah, and so crazy. Yeah, I'm not going to put a sign up. Right. No, I'm, I'm definitely gonna, not going like, to like let people know. I'm not going to get on Facebook and encourage my friends to get out there. What do you I think, think that's we how I do feel. as Christians? Like when it's so like it almost feels like you're going against your own integrity, but you're like, like how do you wrestle with this? You think as a person of faith. Uh, I wrestle with it. I think we all are already wrestling with it. Uh, I wrestle with it this way. Um, so this is the political system we're a part of, right? Yeah. So we can be part of it yep. and and, yep. uh, and pick the people that we think are the best suited and the best um, to where we think the country needs to go. But we need to remind ourselves that this is not our home. This is not our kingdom. Yeah, that's good. We are going to... Um, continue to follow Lord Jesus. Yeah. Because you know who we can get behind? You know what? You know who we can be excited about? Uh, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. Like King yeah. Jesus That's is good, on Brian. the throne. And so the rest of this, yeah, mm. we're still American, so we need to be a part of it. But it's not where our hope lies. That's it's good. not where, you know, these people are going to be fallen. And increasingly, like, I don't know if you saw the some of the debates this weekend with Marjorie Taylor Greene and the other guy. You're just like, who are these yeah, who people? are these people? And it's just it's just unbelievable. So it should point us back to Jesus going, thank you that mm. you're on the throne uh, and that you're our king and that you're our Lord. So that's I, good. I think it constantly needs to point us I, back to Yeah, that. that's a great perspective, Brian. I actually needed to hear that. So thank you for reminding all of that. That does give us a perspective like it, it, in one sense, it's like it'll be OK. It'll be OK. This is not ultimately the kingdom that we belong to. All right. Well, we will be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. for Brian from I'm Aubrey Sampson and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160 Hope for Your Life Three-star general Michael J. Flynn head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency knew all the government's dirty secrets He was one of the most respected generals in the military Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to He understood its funding He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors This set off alarm bells the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.